Hey everybody, it's Drew Horning, and you're about to hear a conversation with Chris Pan. There is so much creative energy emanating from this dialogue. A human being with such vitality. I loved this conversation. The other thing is, throughout it, I couldn't help but think about the title of our podcast, Love's Everyday Radius. Chris Pan so embodies that title in how he shows up in the world. See if you can see it as well. Enjoy. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates of the process and have a conversation with them about how their work in the process is informing their life outside of the process, how their spirit and how their love are living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. It's Drew Horning. Chris Pan is with us today. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to have you. Would you introduce yourself a little bit? So I was born in Taiwan. Was there until I was seven. My family called me Hao Hao. That was my uh, nickname. And. Uh, when I was four, my parents moved to the U.S. and left me with my grandmother. So between four and seven, I was with my grandparents. And then at age of seven, my grandmother brought me to the U.S. and I learned my first word of English on the flight over, which was hello. And I arrived to Cincinnati, Ohio with only one word of English. And it was a very difficult time because I couldn't speak and I looked different. Everyone else um, didn't look like me. We couldn't communicate and they made fun of me. I was bullied as a kid. It took a few years before I finally learned English and I still didn't really fit in, but I did what I could. And then eventually um, I, I went to the International School of Beijing, which was amazing for a couple of years. Then went back to Cincinnati, uh, ended up at Ohio State as um, a pre-med major. Uh, I should actually rewind. During high school, I started playing guitar and I started leading worship at my church, and I was very involved. I thought about becoming a youth pastor, actually. And uh, every Friday night, I was leading music and singing and even sometimes giving sermons. Um, and then Sunday mornings, I'd be leading worship. And then my parents said, no, but you have to get a real job and you have to be a doctor because that's how you're going to uh, be able to have a secure living. So I did that, graduated, got into med school, did three weeks of med school, realized it wasn't my path. I love the idea of being a doctor, but it just wasn't what I felt like I was meant to do. So I dropped out, which was probably the hardest decision, uh, one of the hardest decisions of my life. And then ended up pursuing a, a business career for the next decade. Uh, ended up at McKinsey and Company, and then Harvard Business School, back to McKinsey. Then uh, I was a marketing director at PepsiCo for a couple years. So at 22, I had set this goal that I wanted to be financially independent by 30. I don't know why, but I just thought that would be a cool thing to do. And then when I was turning 30, I was nowhere near that, even though I had a very cushy corporate job. And I realized there were only two ways to financial independence at an early age, which was either uh, iBanking or tech. And at that moment, I had actually met Mark Zuckerberg when I was at Harvard Business School. And I love the Facebook products. So I reached out 
I was like, hey, do you guys need some help? Because I knew that uh, through tech, you know, if we got lucky, then we might be able to create some abundance. And I actually eventually ended up at Facebook for four years during the tremendous growth period. You know, when I joined, Mark's desk was probably 15 feet away from mine. And I ended up being able to help him learn Mandarin for uh, for a year. And then after the Facebook um, IPO and I left, was traveling around the world, went through a very difficult heartbreak. And somewhere along the way, I met a guy who hired me and then fired me. But then he also told me about the Hoffman. And during my very dark uh, breakup time, I was like, well, I'll just take any help I can get. And he had told me that the Hoffman was like a year of therapy in a week. And I was like, that sounds like my kind of thing because I didn't have a year to deal with this pain. I just wanted to get out of it. And so I enrolled for the first uh, class of 2013 and then ended up at the Hoffman. <laughs> well, that's a, a fantastic story. What, what's it like to hold that lineage? of being an immigrant and being in Cincinnati and then experiencing such success saying no to the medical school and the medical school life, the doctor life, as you said, it's one of the hardest things you've done and then move into tech and then to go through that breakup and then come to Hoffman, such richness there. What do you notice in that journey? Any through lines? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so the woman that I was dating that you know we broke up and that got me to go to Hoffman, she would always tell me that she loved Zelda as an example of life. And I don't even play Zelda. I've never played it. But she would always tell me that you know life is like you go through different parts to pick up different tools. And, and one thing leads to the next. And so I, I feel like every chapter has led to the next and i've been picking up different tools and different capabilities along the way in preparation for you know the ultimate um, battle or the ultimate you know mission and so I, I feel like every chapter has has that through line explain a little bit about what zelda is for the uninitiated i don't really know but i know what i what i my understanding of it is that you uh, do have different things you have to do to like you do this thing to pick up a key or you do this thing to pick up a torch and you're just doing little things to pick up something that you'll eventually need for something else. And, and I feel like that sums up my life pretty well. It's like I've, I did this to get to that and that and everything just kind of makes sense in hindsight, kind of like the Steve Jobs um, speech. But while I was in it, I, it didn't make that much sense. But now I'm like, okay, this all kind of makes sense now. Uh, looking back, there's things fall into place a little bit in hindsight. Yeah. And, and I guess one of my favorite quotes um, in high school is follow your heart no matter what. And so I've always just followed my intuition in terms of what I needed to do and made some difficult decisions or sometimes life would just, you know, one door would close. And in the moment, I remember I'd be like devastated that that door closed. But then, you know, a little bit later, I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that door didn't um, stay open because it would have, you know, uh, I wouldn't have gone down a different path. And so it's, it's always worked out. And are you still playing guitar? I am playing uh, more than ever. What's that like? Do you? What does music mean to you? What does it provide for you? It uplifts my spirit. It um, also allows me to receive messages. Like, like lyrics will come to me, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like that's a very deeply profound message. You know, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. I'm like, okay. You know, that that's cool. Maybe just a little patience. Oh, all right, just a little patience. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, wisdom, you know, um, don't you worry, child, heaven's got a plan for you. Oh, okay. Like, maybe I shouldn't worry so much. Who knew top, top 40 radio had so much wisdom in it? Chris, um, 
Uh, share a little bit about my intent. For those listening, uh, when the pandemic hit, the Hoffman Institute and Chris Payne, the CEO of My Intent, came together and created these virtual daily experiences of connection and uh, wisdom. And it went on for almost a year. It was quite successful. It eventually didn't work out. But share a little bit about My Intent and your intent around My Intent. So when I was at the Hoffman, um, there were two big moments for me. One was about two thirds of the way through when we played and I was on the floor. I remember just sobbing and just releasing a lifetime of emotional constipation. And I will never forget that moment. And I realized how constipated I was emotionally. And that was through play of all things. And then I remember the last day when we were asked to set an intention going forward, I said, I wanted to bring this this feeling of spiritual connection, you know, because I had been spiritually disconnected for so long, I wanted to bring this this feeling of connection to the world, uh, because I realized a lot of people don't have, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in a week of time to fly somewhere and do this amazing experience. I wanted to make it just make a little dose of it available to everybody or as many people as I could. I had no idea how that was going to happen, but that was the intention I set, and. For the next few months, I was doing different types of um, inner work, whether it was improv comedy or just more singing, movement. And I hosted a birthday party uh, in August. So this I did Hoffman in January. And then in August, for my birthday party, I invited uh, friends to come. I host. I actually had um, – he's now a teacher. Max, he's a teacher. Yeah. He, at the time, he was just a facilitator for alum events. So I invited him to come to do like a grounding at the very beginning of my birthday party. And then we had uh, my executive coach do like a, like a body activation, like an embodiment exercise. And then I had a vocal teacher come and get us to sing Lean On Me. And then I had another friend lead us in movement with the song Radioactive. And these songs were all chosen because of the messages that they hold. And I also invited friends to bring gifts they wanted to share. And I had a friend bring a set of tools that could make intention bracelets. And she was going around asking people for a word of intention and then making them a bracelet. And then afterwards, uh, we had dinner and then she gave me the tools and said, hey, you're moving to LA, like go make these for people. And it really reminded me of the time at Hoffman when you know we would go around in circles and ask, what, you know, what are you feeling in one word or what's your intention in one word and so forth. And I, I didn't really think that much of it, but I brought the tools and I started hosting gatherings in LA that I called Spirit Sundays. I would just have people come and you know they would arrive, we would ask people to set an intention and then we'd make them a bracelet and then we would do some light yoga, we would do some movement and so forth. And um, that ended up um, really taking off and people loved it. And people kept asking me for more bracelets. And then so I started having to research like how to you know do more bracelets and then you know, I started uh, just doing more and more of them. And then for a fundraiser, a friend asked if we could do it. We ended up raising a bunch of money for orphans in Africa. And then uh, I, I met Jay-Z and he wanted a bracelet. He really liked it. He's like, can you make these for my friends who turned out to be Rihanna, Beyonce, and Kanye. Kanye wore it on the cover of the Time 100 uh, with his word. And then the Today Show picked it up and it just kind of took off from there. And so that, that was a whole chapter. And then the pandemic hit. And I wanted to do something um, for folks who, including myself, who were um, just struggling with how to cope with the isolation and just the uncertainty. And so we partnered up and that was beautiful. And then towards the end, I think we all got zoomed out 
uh, it was summertime and I think we just needed to be out and not in front of a, a computer, but it was a beautiful journey when, you know, beautiful collaboration uh, while we had it. It was. Yeah. And, and what is your word, Chris? Oh, what is my word? Well, I've had so many words. The first word I ever chose was impact. I wanted to, you know, make an impact into the world. There are a few words that I've been playing around with lately. Uh, listen. I feel like it's a really interesting word that has been resonating a lot. The word forgive, I've been using a lot more and more into different sessions. And, uh, you know, I leave these workshops and I'll use the song that I call the song formerly known as Purple Rain because Prince's team is very, um, they'll, have, they'll have the videos taken down if it's called Purple Rain. But uh, we've now renamed the song Healing Rain. And um, I love the lyrics where it says, uh, I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. And when I leave that song, I usually have people close their eyes and it'll be something like this. And I'll, I'll say something like, um, you know, if you, if you bring to mind someone that's hurt you, um, you know, they probably didn't mean to cause you any pain, cause you any sorrow. They were just passing it along because somebody hurt them. And I wonder where I got that message from. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and I learned that at the Hoffman, obviously. Um, and this double two. Never meant to cause you any sorrow. Never meant to cause you any pain. Only wanted to see you laughing. In the healing rain, healing rain, healing rain. You know, purple is the color for healing. Healing rain, healing rain. Healing rain, healing rain. Only wanted to see you playing in the healing rain. Something like that. And so we'll get we'll get the whole place singing along. And sometimes I'll have half the group sing and the other half the group continue to meditate and then switch. And it's a beautiful moment of forgiveness and um, compassion. Chris, you've alluded to gatherings. Do you just love bringing people together for random and intentional occasions? Is that how you roll? I do. And sometimes I think of it as when I was a kid, I was so lonely. And I was isolated. I would just sit in my desk by myself, imagining playing with other kids, and I never got to play with other kids. And so I feel like that was my pain turned into a superpower. And, and we have a song for that too. Do you know that song by the super uh, superheroes by the script? The lyrics go: uh, "Struggling to make it right, or fighting for it all your life, struggling to make it right. That's how a superhero learns to fly. Every day, every hour, turn your pain into power." Oh, I love it. So, how does your Hoffman process experience help you? I mean, you, you have so much energy, so much creativity, and um, such access to the spirit that lives inside you. I'm just curious about your process, your week at Hoffman, and how it's informed your life. Looking back, I was emotionally constipated and spiritually disconnected. 
and the Hoffman process um, helped me release those emotions. And it gave me my first taste of feeling joy and feeling free and feeling loved and feeling accepted. And it allowed me to start my journey to connect with my own spirit and to connect with the universe and to connect with just a sense of oneness. And that was 2013? January of 2013. And so you referenced to start my journey. As you left the process on that Friday, what has begun to unravel, open up, unfold for you? What's happened over time in the unfolding of that journey? You know, I use that framework um, in my workshops uh, almost all the time of the, the, the quadrinity. I wasn't even aware of emotional and spiritual health before the Hoffman process. And that was a huge aha moment that I have an emotional and spiritual aspect of me that I need to take care of. Since then, I've spent a lot of effort and time learning different modalities to, you know, work on processing my emotions and, you know, connecting with my spirit. Um, and it was my time at the Hoffman that really just started the journey, started planting the seeds of this is work that needs to be done for me to feel whole. And subsequently, I ended up at a different workshop uh, where the facilitator uh, kept repeating this phrase, wholeness leads to holiness. Wholeness leads to holiness. And so I think about wholeness as, you know, our physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual self as, as we make ourselves whole across all the quadrants. That's how we connect to our divinity and our, um, our purpose in this planet. Chris, I've, I've often said Hoffman plays well with others. In other words, it integrates well with other modalities, other orientations. And that's a, that's a great example of that. Do you feel like your Hoffman Foundation allows for other orientations to be integrated as well? I mean, that was what was so amazing about the Hoffman was I felt like no matter what your faith system, what your previous experiences were, whatever your belief system is, it, it allows you to be you. And that actually, that philosophy has been the bedrock of my intent. I always coach my team that we don't have the answers, but we have the questions. And we ask the questions and we let people, we guide them and we hold the space for them to, um, to find their own answers. I think of it as we get to do a five minute process with people. You know, when they walk up to our table and they are like, what's going on here? And we say, hey, what's your word? Uh, what do you want to put on a bracelet as a reminder to be your best self? And then they look at us a little bit stunned, be like, hmm, I hadn't thought about that for a long time. And so we're giving them a moment to reflect and to connect with why they're alive. And then we start asking more questions like, you know, hey, what's a virtue or quality you want more of in your life? Think about somebody you admire. You know, what do you admire about them? Or we'll say, hey, what's a challenge in your life that you want to overcome? You know, what do you need to overcome that? Or the last question we'll ask often is, um, what's something you want to do more of that brings you more joy and makes you feel more alive? And, and that's very consistent with uh, my experience during the week at Hoffman was I felt like the teachers never told me how to feel or how to think. But the teachers all held space for me to figure it out by myself. And I wanted to bring that experience um, to everyone. And I think of it as instead of giving people fish, we're giving people fishing rods. And we're teaching people how to find their own answers. What do you notice about that? It, it seems like the world we live in isn't 
drawn to questions as much they love answers we we love knowing we love the certainty of answers and yet here you are pushing questions do you sense that about the world around you yeah it's interesting i mean i think i think part of it is people have stuff to sell and that's what's kind of coming to me in this moment you know our consumer society people the capitalism I think we're all pushing an agenda on other people. And I think, you know, my marketing background is telling me uh, we create problems so that we have a solution to sell people. Uh, there's no there's no money in questions. The money's in the answers. Yeah. And, and, and probably one of the most powerful things at the Hoffman was a week of disconnection from the marketing machine that is our consumer capitalistic society and a week of connection to spirit. To our own sphere, to our own answers. And that was deafening and so um, profound at the same time. Like silence is deafening, but also there's a line in one of my friend's songs that says, um, searching for answers that only silence knows, you know? And, and I felt like that was, that was the week. Like it, it, it's like we shut out all the noise. There's so much noise in our world today, like social media, TV, billboards, you know, we're constantly bombarded with people are constantly pitching us something or people are constantly wanting us to give them our attention. You know, maybe on social media, someone isn't selling us something, but they're asking us of our attention. And that takes away our ability to connect with our own answers. Right. That's a great point because we're looking outward rather than going inward. You know, Chris, it's funny that you say this because sometimes I secretly wonder about if we just took people into a digital detox, this immersive retreat experience, and didn't do all the things that we lead students, would it still be amazing just because people got a chance to step out of the cacophony that is the outside world? A hundred percent. It's removing the, the noise and people can start to tune in. But, but the processes are so powerful, though, to, to really accelerate that. But absolutely, I think we can get halfway there just by removing the noise or something, part of the way there. Right. So um, what's next for you? I, you have so much uh, creativity and energy. I know you're not just hanging out. What else is inspiring you? What gets you up every day? So there's a story I read that says in tribal cultures, if somebody was depressed, the shaman would ask four questions. When's the last time you danced? When's the last time you sang? When's the last time you sat in silence? And when's the last time you were enchanted by a story? Okay, let's hold. Danced, sang, sat in silence, enchanted by a story. So if you think about these are our natural medicines. These are ways that we uplift the spirit. These are ways we connect to spirit. These are our natural ways that we've been doing it for thousands of years. We now live in a world where somehow, I mean, I guess we still have, we have a lot of movement. That's true. Meditation studios and meditation apps are becoming more and more popular. Um, stories have always been around. You know, there's a lot of storytelling. But where do we sing as a society? You know, as a, as a culture? other than, I guess, uh, at churches and then maybe at a karaoke bar, right? But, but for the most people, if they don't go to church, like, where can you sing, especially in a group? 
And there's so much science that proves group singing um, is great for, you're stimulating the vagus nerve and it helps us calm ourselves. It fosters a sense of connection to other people. And it's just fun. Like it's so uplifting. But we live in a world where we've delegated or we've relegated singing to professionals like Adele and Michael Jackson. And we're, you know, taught that or we're, sub, you know, it's kind of subtly taught that if you're not Michael Jackson, you shouldn't. Or if you're not Michael Jordan, you can't play basketball. But that's not true, right? Just because you're not like Michael Jordan, you can still pick up a ball and still shoot some hoops. And so I've now created something called VOMO which stands for voice movement. And the full name is vomo.me, which is voice movement.meditation. And I was almost going to add the S for stories, voice movement.mez, but um, I just kept it voice movement.meditation, but we sprinkle in stories throughout the whole experience where we're helping people use the natural medicines to uplift uh, the spirit and to process emotions and to also build community and you know have a sense of connection. And what we do is we take top 40 anthems that we all love and we tweak the lyrics a bit to drive home messages that are profound and will be there for you when you need it. You know, like you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And I have people sit back to back with others and, you know, reflect on a time where, yeah, maybe something happened that wasn't what you wanted, but maybe it actually was what you needed. And then I have them think about, well, maybe there's something happening in your life in this moment that you're frustrated with and you're not happy about you're just wishing was different but maybe it's here to serve you in some way and you just have to look at it differently and embrace it and use it as fuel for building your strength you know your character your purpose your resilience and so forth and there's in part reading the lyrics can be inspiring and powerful don't quite create the kind of superpower that singing the lyrics together with other people do there's a reason brands use jingles to get people to remember things, right? There's a reason for that. It's because it's catchy and our brains love jingles and love melodies. And so when I give a workshop, I always say, I could talk to you for the next hour and you'll forget everything by tomorrow morning. But if I simplify the message, add a melody on top and get you to sing it back, then it's yours. It's going to be there for you when you need it. That's the impact I want to have as a speaker and as a facilitator and as a leader. I'm thinking about that young boy in the church who would sing in front of the community. Do you feel like he still is inside you in some way as you lead people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in a very unexpected way, but absolutely the way that I guess uh, I'm meant to do it. You know, I, I had this vision 10 years ago, right after the Hoffman, I was uh, still processing the breakup. And every morning I'd wake up and uh, fire up my karaoke app and just sing for an hour until I felt better. And I remember one morning I uh, was singing, don't you worry, child, heaven's got a plan for you. And I said, holy cow, there's so much wisdom in top 40 and, you know, on the radio. And why can't we use this to reach people who maybe, you know, they don't resonate with folk, uh, with, you know, the songs at a church or they don't want to step into a church, but we can bring church to them. And that's who we're um, hoping to serve is everybody else who on a Sunday afternoon is watching football and not processing their emotions and not connecting with their spirit as we want to bring church to those folks. What do you notice in your early returns on this venture? How's it being received? Uh, folks are loving it. 
I mean, folks are blown away. They're always telling me, you know, they, they walk in, you know, having had a hard week, anxious, walking out, feeling totally open, expansive, joyful. It's a complete transformation in one hour. I remember I did a workshop for a woman um, or for at Deloitte headquarters. And after the workshop, and this workshop, actually, I'll say is um, I was in London right before this workshop. I was, uh, you know, there for a wedding. And right before I was flying to Texas, my laptop would not start. So I had, you know, 30 slides I was just to use for this workshop. And my laptop wouldn't start. I went to the Apple store. They said, well, it's going to take a week for us to restart your laptop. And then I was like, you know what? In this moment, forget the slides. I'm just going to do it without the slides. And so when I got there to, um, to the venue, I, uh, want, I told them actually to make it really dark. In this one-hour workshop for a bunch of Deloitte accountants, I had them screaming. I had them dancing. I had them you know, shadow boxing, all of it. But it was, it was pretty dim. I had no slides. <laughs> and it was probably one of the most powerful workshops I'd ever given up to that point. It was probably actually the most powerful because people were just in it. They were in their own space. They weren't worried about whatever. They weren't in their heads because I think slides tend to keep us in our heads. And afterwards, this woman walks up and she was, yeah, tears in her eyes. And she goes, Chris, I have to tell you, I've been working on this thing for years. It's very important to me. And in a one-hour session, you helped me have a breakthrough. And I will never forget that moment. I was like, wow, in a one-hour session, you know, we were able to hold space for her to have that breakthrough that she's been struggling with for years. Wow, Chris. Let me ask you this question because so much of what the Hoffman process is about is getting into the experience of something, letting go, giving yourself over, leaning into the experience of it. And here you did it in, in one hour with these executives at Deloitte. How do you do it? What What's the secret to helping people let go and give in to this kind of energetic, expressive experience? So first off, I just have to say that this embodiment approach, I had never experienced it before until the Hoffman. And it's so powerful. And I especially, yeah, just all the different processes. And so it's just amazing. And that's where I got the idea from originally. Or that's where I got my first taste of it, um, if you will. Uh, the second thing I always remind myself is it's not me. This pimple is ready to pop. I was just the final prick that just helped the pimple pop. It's been brewing there for th you know three years or however long. But I do just give it everything I got, and I use music, and I use you know I, I work with the lights, I work with just energy. But if it's meant to happen, I mean, something can happen in a five minute conversation. It, it doesn't have to be a certain amount of time or a certain amount of whatnot, you know, and it doesn't happen for every person. I mean, there are people that probably wa walk out of the workshop and they're like, okay, that was cute. But like, they weren't, you know, if they weren't ready, they weren't ready. But if they were ready, if they're ready to let it go, then, then it happens. And I'm just honored to be able to hold that space for them. So the lights down, helping people give themselves over to these experiences is and i love how you said if they're not ready they're not ready and early on after i took the process before i became a teacher i would proselytize you weren't supposed to but i pushed and what i realized is just the reason we don't have people push because if you're not ready it's not helpful and uh, you you are pointing to that in these experiences that when people are ready, they'll give in to the experience. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I also remind myself, um, I'm just planting seeds for the people who, you know, maybe walked out and was like, that was cute. But maybe 
down the road in two years, there'll be a moment that happens. And then all of a sudden, a message that you know I shared will be resonant and will affect them. But I never know. And it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm just out planting seeds. So for someone listening and wanting to stop the chatter in the head and become more embodied, we are a disembodied. The, the pimple is there. It seems like we get supported so much in our culture of living in our head and being from our head. What steps can support some of those seeds both being planted and then also growing into fruition? I mean, my favorite things are singing, movement, meditation, you know, story time. Those four things um, are my personal favorites. For me, I like to go swim. And I always try to swim before I give a workshop because that 45 minutes is like a moving meditation. And it's so powerful for me. Um, Sometimes running as well um, can be that for me. Uh, Meditation time is beautiful. Just singing with other people, just getting off our phones, you know, just just going on a hike without without our phones. Right. Just putting that puppy down. How has your work at Hoffman informed your relationship with your parents? Are they still living? Yeah, they're they're here. Um, yeah, it's it's been a journey with them, and it definitely has. Um, you know, the most important thing is, you know, my father. He can be difficult sometimes uh, for me. And he could be very hard on me. And I always remember, you know, he was born on the side of the road um, when my grandmother was fleeing China on her way to Taiwan. So this is 1949. The communists were taking over China and they fled and uh, she was pregnant. And my grandfather had already left with the army a few months prior. So my grandmother was with some of her friends ready to give birth. They uh, found an abandoned house, knocked down the door, went in there, gave birth, rested a bit, and then they had to keep going. And then the first couple years, they she was on her own before she reunited with my grandfather. And my father grew up very poor, very difficult times. They were struggling. And so I always have to remember that uh, that's you know the, the background that he has. And um, it's just different. And just uh, just be grateful for the things that I have. But you know, I come from um, a lineage of refugees. You know, like actually, we were we were pretty well off. My grandparents and my great grandparents were pretty wealthy um, in China. They had a printing press business, but then everything was taken away taken away in a moment, and they just had the clothes on their back and a couple pieces of um, gold. I think very small, but um, that's it. And then they had to start from scratch. As the pandemic came rolling over us. And some of the anti-Asian hate emerged in the underbelly of our culture. How did you navigate that? And what was the impact on you? And how do you hold that? I, I think it's, you know, what we, what we were taught at the Hoffman. It was just, folks are just hurting. And then it reminds me of a Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, quote that says, you know, if someone's, or if someone's angry, you know, they need help. It, it just shows that they're suffering. And so my read on all this hate is just people are hurting and I don't take it personally. And I just try to do what I can to be of help and be supportive and try to stay out of harm's way, obviously, but people are just hurting, you know, they're just looking for somewhere to point that, that point that hurt. And so I think that's why the, the work that we do is so needed in the world more than ever is people are hurting and we need to help them heal in a proper way so that they're not spewing all that out in a, 
you know, in a way that's harmful to other people. Chris, Bob Hoffman had a vision for Hoffman world peace, one person at a time. And I feels like exactly what you are doing in your work. You're really connecting the interpersonal work with the outer, larger collective work of peace. Do you see that? I'm just doing what feels good. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get the world to sing together because it sounds good. You know, like when we sing together, we're not talking over each other. We're in harmony. Uh, I'm just doing, I'm just doing what, you know, gets me up in the morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so what's a great song? If someone came away from this interview, what song should they belt out loud? I'm going to teach everybody a new song. Um, and I wrote the lyrics because when people come to Vomo, uh, many people feel like, well, I'm not a singer. I can't sing. I'm not a dancer. I can't dance, you know? And I think it's time to drop those labels. You know, when we were kids, we never worried about, oh, am I doing this right? Am I singing correctly? Like we just did it because it felt good. This is really important work. And I borrowed this from, uh, an outro of the killer. So I like to I like to use stuff that's already familiar because then it's easier for people to digest. It's all about making it digestible for people, but then I put some new lyrics to it. I hope they're okay with this. I will sing, but I'm not a singer. You want to sing it with me? I will sing, but I'm not a singer. 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 I will dance, but I'm not a dancer. 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 I will heal, but I'm not a healer. I will heal, but I'm not a healer. I will play, but I'm not a player. I will play, but I'm not a player. I came here to find my intention. I came here to find my intention. Chris Pan, everybody, thank you, Chris. I've loved this conversation and your leadership in the singing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for what you do and what the Hoffman does, because this wouldn't be here without it. So good. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love in themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.